I don't know about you, uh, but Christmas feels different this year. And in some sense, it feels like Christmas has taken away uh, our song. If you felt some tension and some uneasiness in the short video we just showed you, that would probably be a proper emotion to feel. Because it doesn't seem like things are silent. It doesn't seem like things are calm. And after 2020, we wonder, can the world ever be bright again? Will a weary world ever rejoice again? A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine planted a church outside of uh, Pittsburgh because we know Steelers fans need Jesus. And about 10 years ago, uh, they launched this church, and he said on his Facebook page that um, one of the founding members that launched this church had passed away, older, older gentleman. But that wasn't the heartbreaking part of the, the Facebook post. The heartbreaking part came in the second paragraph uh, when he communicated that, uh, unfortunately, he was unable to preach his friend's funeral because he was in close contact with someone that had COVID-19. And he had, to, uh, uh, he had to contact the funeral home, the family, and he had to watch online why somebody else preaches his friend's funeral. 2020 has a way of taking away uh, our song. There have been countless conversations that I've been a part of, I'm sure that you've been a part of as well. Do we travel? <laughs> Do we not travel? Do we travel and not tell people? Uh, and really, uh, unfortunately, people like to choose sides. There's an A and B and there's a right and wrong. It's interesting that everyone thinks that they're on the right side, but those things are irrelevant because what's happening to us is what's happening in the gray. What's happening to us is what's happening in the gray, and what is happening to us are guilt trips by friends and family. Why don't you just come home? It's not that big of a deal. You know, 2020 has a way of taking away our song this year. When I think about the Christmas story, uh, I think about personally my, my favorite character uh, isn't, isn't Jesus. I hope I can say that. Uh, it's Jesus' mom, Mary who in the midst of a lot of political and social unrest in the first century, like 2020, she received some news that she was not anticipating. And what I'd like to focus on this year for the Christmas message is what was asked of her and what her response was to her heavenly father. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Luke writes these words, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will uh, conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Jesus' kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked. Good question. I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she uh, was said to be unable to conceive. And now she's six months pregnant. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. Some really compelling takeaways uh, from Mary's response uh, to this message from the angel Gabriel. One of which is that Mary responded thoughtfully. The text reads that Mary uh, received this message from an angel and she pondered these things in her heart. Now, what I'm about to say is an illustration. You might say, well, okay, technology wasn't advanced as it is now. Yes, but there's still a need to communicate when you get some really good news, right? Mary does not run back inside and grab her smartphone and make a TikTok video telling the world, guess what? I'm better than you. I'm going to give birth to Jesus. She doesn't write some emotive Facebook post on her wall or a, a selfie on her Instagram account. She doesn't run and tell the world, look how amazing I am. I better get 378 likes in five seconds before I take this post down. No, Mary, who, depending on who you want to believe, is probably between 13 and 18 years old. Mary, a middle school, probably high school student, receives a message from the Lord and goes, let me think about this for a moment. And as she's thinking about this, she comes across chapter 1, verse 50, and her response, we'll get there later, but for now, Mary says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. What is Mary doing? What is Mary doing? She's thinking about God's promise that he made with Abraham all the way back in the Old Testament. Abraham, I need you to leave your hometown. I don't want to do that. Do it anyways. Go to a place that you don't know anybody, you don't know the best restaurants, the best coffee shops, and I will turn you into a great nation. Mary, 16, 17, 18-year-old Mary, adolescent Mary, realizes, wait a minute, I'm on the receiving end of a promise God shared and spoke with Abraham. Let me ask you a question. What are you pondering these days? Do, do you, maybe this is a better question, um, do you actually carve out time to think deeply about God, about what's happened this year, about your response, or have we got into the cultural trappings where we just think we're right and everyone's wrong and we're just going to tell social media because if anybody posts anything online, they must know what they're talking about. The scriptures invite us to cognitively, intellectually consider what it might mean to accept Jesus at Christmas and to actually follow him. Notice what the writers of Psalms say in the way of encouraging us to ponder. 
64 verse 9, all people will fear. They will proclaim the works of God and ponder. They will think deeply. They'll go for walks in the white mountains. They'll go for a swim. They'll, go, they'll sit around for a cup of coffee with friends, and they'll recall the works of God. Psalm 107, 43, let the one who was wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Jesus' followers will sit around and encourage each other with the love of God, reminding us again that religion is about your behavior and your performance, but the gospel is about Jesus' behavior. His perfect life lived on your behalf because you could not do it. Psalm 111 verse 2 writes, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. What do you think about when you think? And if you don't carve out time to think deeply and, and profoundly, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, I think there's a thing called New Year's resolutions kind of com coming around the corner here. I'm not interested in goals and resolutions. For the first time in my life, I'm interested, in, I'm interested more in a way of life. A way of life will accomplish all the goals that you want to set in the next year. But I'm afraid in our culture today, even in Christianity and the church, we don't think deeply and process broadly and widely with what's happening in our world. Not humanistically, but as it relates to God's word and the scriptures. Uh, Mary, the NIV says she was troubled. No, she wasn't. Let me tell you what was happening. The Greek word for troubled means freaked out. I scare easily. I'm saying that so that you don't freak me out between these two Christmas Eve services. If you want to hear me give out a blood-curling middle school girl scream, hide behind a wall, wait for me to come, and jump out and just watch your YouTube channel blow up, okay? Mary felt that way. Troubled in this text means to, for those three to seven seconds as the world is laughing at you, uh, you're processing what in the world is happening, and you have a sense that life is a little bit out of control right now. Would you say that that is true of you as you think about this past year? Right? Our culture is all about be assertive. You go get what you want right? Study hard, go to college, get the right degree, get, go in the right field, and then this year happens, and a lot of things that you were in control of or you thought you were in control of have sort of been taken away from you, and I wonder how much of troubled is an emotion that we felt this past year. Roughly three decades later, Jesus grows up and around the age of 30, he begins his public ministry. And the closer that he gets to the cross and the resurrection, he begins uh, talking about more intensely about the cross. Guys, I'm going away. It's not going to be pretty. I'm going to die a terrible death, but I'm going to rise again three days later. In John 11, uh, Jesus' friends, Mary and Martha, ask Jesus, would you please come to see us because our brother, Lazarus, is getting ready to die. And Jesus showed up three days too late. And Mary and Martha are ticked. Hey, aren't you God? 
don't, you, you tell people their sins can be forgiven, but you can't walk a little faster to get here. My brother's dead, Jesus, because of you, right? It, it, I, 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 I find myself and a lot of my friends doing that, throwing the blame on God. But notice what, how Jesus responds in John eleven thirty three. When Jesus saw her, Mary and Martha, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and what? Troubled, like his mother was when she found out she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Jesus is deeply moved and troubled about the reality of death. And in his humanity, in that moment, for Jesus' life felt a little bit out of control. But in verse 4, Jesus tells his friends, this is why I showed up late. In verse 4, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. When I raise Lazarus from the dead, it's a picture of what I'm going to do for what? For your sin when I die on the cross and rise again three days later. It's a bummer, but I say it every year, and you allow me to say it, Christmas is our fault. I know, it's, it's a drag, but it's our fault. If we hadn't sinned, we wouldn't need a Savior. If we had just been faithful, we wouldn't need forgiveness and grace, and I can't help but wonder, uh, or at least admire, the beautiful connection between Mary being freaked out, thoughtfully processing what's been asked of her, and then faithfully saying, "I'll do it." And then three decades later, when her son is a young adult, a young business professional, in John 11, in the Garden of Gethsemane. 24, 48 hours, 24 hours away from being crucified in front of his own mother, Jesus prays this prayer. God, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't, I don't want to do this, but not my will. Your will be done. Mary thought about what this angel was asking her thoughtfully because she pondered what God was asking her to do. Or a better way, I like to say this, what God was inviting her in to do. Mary also responded gradually. I don't know if you um, have this sense, but when I talk to uh, my friends or anybody, really, about faith and religion and Jesus and Christianity, it, doubt is sort of like an all or nothing thing, right? I, I, I don't believe in God. The Bible is a joke. It's a crutch for people that need to get, you know, through a really hard, dif uh, difficult season of life, and they can't afford a Hallmark card, so they go to church. Or um, there is a God. There is, um, there is grace. The Bible is true. It is historically accurate. But the Bible paints a broader picture of doubt. I didn't know this until like two weeks ago when I was researching for this. There's one sense of having doubt but being closed-minded. There's people in your life, or maybe you, I don't know your story, but there's people in your life, it doesn't matter if you get the best theologian, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, physicist, uh, the best, um, you know, uh, doctoral professor to debate the existence of God, they're not going to believe in God. 
sort of like Elizabeth's husband that we read about in Luke 1. When the angel told him, hey, you're going to have a baby. What? I just got my AARP card. Like that, that season is, is gone. And God says, no, you're going to, and, and he would not listen. And God says, okay, you're going to be quiet until your kid's born, until John the Baptist is born. There's doubt with a closed mind, but then there's also doubt with an open mind. And that's the beauty of what Mary's doing. She's freaked out. She's processing. She's doubting. And doubting is good in faith. It means people that doubt are more often engaged than those that don't. And she's probably processing things like, how am I chosen when my own community doesn't even choose me? I don't know if you know this, but it's not really a good idea in the first century to be 15 and pregnant and not be able to communicate who the dad is. How can my kid be both God and man? Then Mary responds in verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Can I say something hard? Um, and if you don't know me, I don't, I don't mean to drop the hammer. I'm just trying to be honest. Sometimes uh, we doubt because we don't want to give up control. Let me say that again. So, sometimes we doubt because we don't want to give up control. And sure, there's a lot of folks that look at Christianity and definitely the Christmas story and the whole virgin thing and go, nah, that's, that's, no, nah, that's, I don't, that's weird. But in reality, the cost of what Jesus asks of us, if he's actually real, which he is, uh, if what he said is actually true, what it will cost us is our very lives. It'll affect the way that we give. Well, hey, we might even start giving. Who we serve, the kind of relationships uh, we have, the, the spouse that we are, the friend that we are, it will impact our entire Life And I can't help but wonder that the gospel has been made available to us because mother and son, though both troubled, played the role of what? The servant. Which is why Titus 3, 4 through 7 is true, my friends. But when the kindness and the love of God, just sit on that for a minute. When the kindness and the love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of our righteous things we have done. God is not impressed by our good or bad behavior. He only judges us on the behavior of his son Jesus, who was faithful and was perfect on our behalf. Because of his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, part of beautiful language of baptism, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, you're justified by Jesus's life. You don't have to work for your faith. You don't have to work for grace. You've been justified because somebody else was perfect for you and died for your sins. We've been justified by grace that we might become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. Thank God for the faithfulness of women in the Bible. And thank God for the faithfulness of Jesus 
who even in the garden could have walked away. And I don't know that anybody here would fault him for that. But both of them said, mother and son, not my will, but yours. God, this is your story to tell. Mary responds thoughtfully, gradually, and then, this is my favorite part, she responds with wonder. Mary, this 16-year-old girl, busts out in a song. In verse 46, she sings these words. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And here I am preaching. And she was right. (laughs) For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary's response to this beautiful message is to sing, is to be reminded of God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. There's a lot about 2020 that may, at first glance, feel like our song has been taken away. But Christmas is a reminder (laughs) that the God who created us in the garden is recreating us through his son by dying on the cross and raising again, rising again three days later. And because of Christmas and because of the gospel and because God is far less in our behavior and our morality because Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, we can sing. We have a song. We have a story to tell about the faithfulness of a God For all that fear him and love him from generation to generation. The Christmas story, my friends, is for us to tell. What has God done in your life this year? What is worth singing about? When you came in, you uh, should have received on your chair these glow sticks. And I invite you to pull these guys out and uh, crack them. uh, Crack them open. I think that's the right word. Yeah. And you guys can go ahead and stand at your feet. And uh, we're going to close out with uh, O Holy Night. And as you're doing that, go ahead and stand up for me. And I just want to um, say a quick prayer uh, over us today for those that are on campus and watching online. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close out with O Holy Night? Jesus, we thank you for um, being a God that goes with us in the valley. That despite this season and this year and this heartache and this brokenness, so much death, so much loss, so much hurt, so much anger, through your servant Mary, you remind us that there is a song to be sung. 
There's a story to be told of a God who is faithful to his people, regardless if they're being beaten by Pharaoh or being confused by the overwhelming number of deaths of COVID-19 or social unrest in our country, that there is still a song to be sung and a story to be told about the faithfulness of a young mom in the faithfulness of her son who lived the perfect life on our behalf, a life that we could not live, who died the death that we should have died, but he did in our place. God, with tired and broken and encouraging hearts, we sing this song to you. Let a weary world rejoice. Amen.